The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings from the Pet Buzz Studios in the Gulf Coast, the West Coast of Florida. We're happy to be with you because you are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. You know, racing season has just started and we're already in the midst of controversy. As you know, I picked Medina Spirit to win a Bob Baffert horse. And now scandal has erupted in the horse world. What do you think, Dr. Flack? It's very perplexing. It's very perplexing for the industry of racing, of course. And uh, we just have to wait to see what the outcome is yet, because we have one information being sent to us and reported uh, that has to be verified. So I think the verdict is still out. We just have to kind of wait and see. But the good thing is, for those people who did win on Medina Spirit, like I did at my home little gambling arena, (laughs) I don't have to give back the money. Mm, mm. (laughs) But you feel bad for those people if Medina Spirit is stripped of the title, the people who did pick, you know, the winning horse, if that's the case. Well, if if, if, won't be getting any money. Yeah. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, what I'm a little disturbed about are these are allegations that I have kind of uh, surrounded Bob Baffert before. So, I mean, you know, it's very, very sad. Well, I think he's been tired and feathered already, and I think we still have to wait to see no, what the information is. No, and I agree with is. you 100%. Well, anyway, let's kick off the show with our weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, we talk with veterinarian Dr. Rosalind Biggs from Oklahoma State University about flea and tick prevention. In seg three. Veterinarian Dr. Marcy Logsdon from Washington State University's College of Veterinary Medicine joins us to talk about raccoons, very intelligent and adept creatures. Two, and in this portion of the show, I talk the celebrity pet buzz. And I give you my weekly update, Flex Facts. And in one, you love your cat, but you want him to have an enriched life. Part of that includes letting him outdoors to keep him happy. Here's the thing. He brings home rats, birds, rabbits, and other rodents. How can you reduce his hunting ability and the ability to reduce what he brings home? His catch. Our next guest is going to tell us. And joining us to talk about the ability to reduce a cat's hunting instinct is Professor Dr. Robbie McDonald, Chair in Natural Environmental and Sustainability Institute, University of Exeter. So, Professor McDonald, thank you for joining us in the Pet Buzz today. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, you know, has there been previous research on this topic, and how is your research different? There has actually been quite a long track record of work on uh, cat predation of wildlife, most of it leading up to some very grave concerns just about the numbers of animals that cats kill Um, A little bit about the impacts of uh, how cats uh, can affect wildlife populations, but actually remarkably little about what you might do about it. And and that's what's different about this work is that um, for people who do let their cats outdoors, um, we were interested in trying to develop solutions for them that would reduce the risk of their beloved pet killing other people's beloved wildlife. 
you know, I think for us, we are big bird watchers. We have cats, we have dogs. Um, just a few weeks ago, we found a bird in the backyard. So, you know, we were concerned. We also have a lot of feral cats in our neighborhood, as well as uh, neighbors who let out their cats who are indoor outdoor cats. So we were very curious about this study. So can you talk about talk about the study protocols? How did you how, how did this this come about? The first thing is that these are um, all cats that have access to the outdoors. And, and that's quite different in the UK uh, from other societies like the US, where keeping your cat indoors is much more commonplace. So here it's it's by far the norm to let your cat outdoors. And in setting aside the rights and wrongs of that, we were interested in, in working with those owners to see what they could do that would benefit their cats, as well as reduce the, the likelihood of uh, predation of wildlife. So we did a few things. We did some normal stuff, like we looked at whether putting a bell on the collar would help. We also tried a, a, an invention from a, a North America called the Birds Be Safe Collar, which is actually a collar cover that sits over the existing collar that the cat might wear and, and makes the cat more visible to, to, to birds in particular. And then we tried two new things. One was to uh, feed the cat uh, a meatier diet. So this is whatever they were eating before, we switched their diet to um, something that had a higher meat content to it. And then the other one was to get the owners to play with their cats for five or 10 minutes using a kind of fishing rod toy to get them to chase and capture something that looked and felt like a, a wild bird. And then we got the owners to record what their cats were doing by way of capturing and bringing home prey uh, over a period of several weeks. We did it before and after the treatment and we looked to see what uh, results we got. I was just going to say, so what did your results from the research reveal? Well, it's pretty remarkable, really, because um, the, the food treatment and the play treatment both had an effect on the numbers of wild animals being captured and, and brought home. So if we looked at, uh, at birds, for example, which is the thing that people are most worried about, um, we saw that the food treatment reduced the number of birds brought home by more than 40 percent, 44 percent on average. The um, birds as well, the birds be safe collar, not surprisingly, was, was effective. That reduced killing by about 42%. Uh, and for small mammals, uh, the food treatment was reduced killing by about a third, and the play reduced it also by about a third. So for our listening cat owners who are perplexed about watching the little one bring in a little bird or another little prey, well, can you summarize what you think is best for them to do to maybe reduce that uh, opportunity for the their little loved that one, instinct. yeah, to go out and get them. Certainly, looking at a meat-rich diet is one option. If if that's something that you can't afford, um, then certainly playing with your cat frequently does seem to have a similar uh, effect, order of magnitude. If your cat uh, does wear a collar when it's outdoors. Um, it's used to that, uh, and you're happy with it wearing a collar, then the Birds Be Safe collar cover is also a, a great device and is very effective in reducing the numbers of birds killed uh, by cats that are allowed outdoors. Sure. That's great. I mean, really interesting. I think we've got to get um, check out that Bird Be Safe collar because I think that would be really interesting and maybe talk about that in the I Like You of the Week because I think people would like to see it and you know see how much it is and you know i think anything you do I mean, the great thing is play is cheap it's free it's something that you do <laughs> it's just a few minutes of your time you know whether it's five minutes uh once a day or twice a day i mean you know 
And then also, I mean, just providing your pet with a quality diet. But you know what? That's why uh, manufacturers invented coupons. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we have coupons here in the U.S. And depending on where you are. Right. Well, you know, also just that relationship between the cat owner and and the cat would be accentuated if they're spending more time. And I think that would be more rewarding for them. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we saw was that the play had more of an effect on mammals than it did on birds. And, And one of my suspicions there is that actually people are playing with the cat when the kids come home from school. So they're kind of getting that behavioral stimulation before the evening. And that reduces their instinct to go out and kill mammals. Very interesting. So, yeah, yeah, get the the kids to do it. I agree. Thank you for sharing your research with us today. It really is very insightful. And I'm sure our cat owners are are really listening to this. And I can tell you for us personally, it really does apply. We're going to try it on our cat, Hayden. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's going to be I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to work. All right. Just to remind you, that was Dr. Robbie McDonald, chair in natural environment, environment and sustainability Institute, University of Exeter, talking about how meteor diets cat play and can reduce feline hunting and really behavior and keep birds safer and alive. So I think that's always a good thing. For more information, visit wildlifesciences.org. That was a great interview. Simple, easy to understand, and I think something measures that you can implement at home immediately. Yeah, even we could do that. Yeah, I mean, you you can run to Walmart and buy a fishing pole toy. Thank you. And not very expensive. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break and be right back. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. Tever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. 
Teva Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Teva Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TevaPet.com. Teva Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz. The show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. So, hey, let's start off our celebrity Pet Buzz segment by discussing Bo, Bo Obama, the Portuguese yeah. water dog who became the first presidential pet in the Obama White House. He died last Saturday. He was 12 years old, and it's unfortunate he had cancer. President Barack Obama said the family had lost a true friend and a loyal companion. And, you know, I think we feel that because we've lost so many of our dogs in the last three and a half months. For more than a decade, Bo was a consistent general presence in our lives, happy to see us on our good days, our bad days, and every day in between, said President Obama. We can understand that sentiment because that's how we that's how we as pet lovers also, feel. Also goes to show you that he's a regular person. His family's a regular family and we can identify sure, with that. Of course. So they were a big uh, PWD Portuguese water dog family and the girls named Now, this I thought was really interesting. The girls named the dog Bo because their cousins had a cat with the same name and because Mrs. Obama's father was nicknamed Diddly after the musician Bo Diddly. So what we have to do is say, rest in peace, Bo. We hope that you enjoy Rainbow Bridge and meet our Roan, Hudson Temps, Hannah and Ty. But now I got some good news. On a happier note, Prince William and Kate Middleton have a new family pet. You know, before the death of the couple's beloved dog, Lupo, last November, the couple received a new puppy, now eight months old, from Kate's younger brother, James uh, Middleton. And although William and Kate have yet to share any photos of the Black Hawker Spaniel, the pet has been a welcome addition to their family. You know, a new puppy is always adorable and a family is always thrilled when they get a new puppy, especially if they have kids like the Cambridges do with their three kids. And I remember, you know, reading articles in November when Luba passed away and they were saying, you know, a friend of the family said it's, it's always devastating when a dog passes away, especially Lupo, but a younger dog, they thought adding a younger dog to the family would kind of rally Lupo a little bit. That really kind of, I think, depends on the dog that you have and how sick he is. They thought adding a younger puppy would give Lupo some energy and, uh, and a little bit more life. But anyway, so regarding the puppy, the new puppy last May, James announced that's Catherine, uh, the Duchess of Sussex, Catherine Middleton, uh, James, his dog, Luna, is uh, sisters to Lupo, and she had a litter of six puppies. And I remember we reported on that in the news because dogs have been such a part of James's not only physical, but mental help helping him deal with his mental struggles. Um, so I guess it turns out one of those six puppies went to the Cambridge family. Now, the only thing we don't know is what the name of the new puppy is. We'll find out We're soon. We're going to find out soon. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's going to take long. You got the time. 
And now what you've been waiting for, Flex Facts. You know, Tanya, one of our listeners from Bradenton, Florida, that's from our hometown, wanted to know why her dog is coughing. And although we have limited information about Tanya's dog, why don't you tell us kind of what you think, Dr. Flex? Well, a cough from your dog can mean a sign of a few different things. They may be sick. They may be choking. They may just have a tickle in their throat. If you're ever in doubt that your pet needs professional care, you should always default to having them checked out. It's always better to be safe rather than be sorry. Okay, so Dr. Fleck, what causes dogs to cough? Just like people, dogs cough because of irritation of the throat or lungs. Whether the irritation is from physical issues like a collapsing trachea or because of an illness like pneumonia, there is something causing them to feel as though they need to cough. Okay, so let's talk pneumonia. So would my dog obviously cough if he had pneumonia, correct? Well, you know, many people think pneumonia is just a human sickness, but dogs and cats can get it as well. So pneumonia in dogs is very similar to pneumonia in people. The primary cause of coughing from pneumonia is the lungs filling up with fluids and making it difficult to breathe. So if your dog has pneumonia, the cough will sound wet and thick. If your dog has this cough, you should immediately seek professional care. So talk about collapsing tracheas because you mentioned it. Yeah, and it's happening more these days as pets get older. Collapsing trachea issues are most common in toy dog breeds that are brachiocephalic. That means the pushed in face. Mm -hmm. um, think of dogs such as your English toy spaniels. Pugs, like we have. Like we have. Pugs, Boston Terriers, French Bulldogs. Bulldogs and other and others that have faces with that flattened schnauzer pushed in face. They are brachiocephalic breeds and are naturally prone to collapsing tracheas, but all dogs can suffer from this condition. If your dog is suffering from this, they probably choke a lot while they eat, and they may even have a cough that sounds like a honking goose. Consider switching to a harness instead of a collar, which is a great idea and check with your vet to see if surgery is necessary. Okay, kennel cough is something I know that you deal with on a daily basis. So kennel cough obviously makes your dog uh, cough, right? It does, and it has a unique cough. And most dogs are vaccinated as puppies against kennel cough. However, if you have acquired a dog that has not been vaccinated, or if you are unsure, pay attention to the cough closely. Listen for a deep cough frequent hacking and occasional honking i know spring allergies is a break thing are they coughing what's going on with the cough and allergies yeah dogs can also have allergies and just like with people these allergies can cause them to cough if you are wondering if your dog is coughing due to allergies then take a look for another non-coughing related symptom that makes sense like if their eyes are watery a lot do they look puffy do they seem to be sneezing more than usual? Are they, are they scratching a lot and seem unable to get relief? If yes, then consider checking with your vet to see what the options are for treatment. You know, we've had heart specialists on the phone and they say, if your dog has heart problems, they cough too, correct? Especially with older pets. You're absolutely right. If your dog is having trouble breathing and coughing at night while at rest, it's possible they may have heart disease. Heart disease also comes with a loss of appetite, sometimes a bluish color to the tongue, fatigue, and difficulty breathing. Again, contact your vet. 
to come up with a health plan to help treat your pet. Now, parasites, can they cause uh, can they cause a cough? Too? The most likely parasite to cause your dog to cough is heartworms. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Regular use of a heartworm preventative medication is the best way to prevent your dog from getting heartworm. Preventative heartworm is always better and cheaper than treating because it is a treatment that are very expensive and very hard on the pet. Okay. I recently heard that fungal infections can cause dogs to cough. Is that true? Yes. Fungal infections can be the cause of a canine cough as well as the other things that we've discussed. And if you suspect that your dog may have a fungal infection, reach out to the vet. Fungal infections can usually be treated with a short round of antibiotics or antifungal agents. Your vet may even be able to give you an antibiotic or a treatment by injection. Great. You know, that was really great. It was lengthy, but it was great information. I'm glad you kind of nailed down all the uh, factors that really involve coughing. And uh, I'm sure not only our listening audience, but Tanya from Bradenton will appreciate that too. Uh, And that should answer all of her questions. Now I'm going to say stick around more of the pet buzz very soon. Up next, my likey of the week. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy's going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. You know, you're listening to the best in Pet Talk Radio. This is the Pet Buzz. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. You know, my dog, Hammy, loves to lie outside and get some sun. He is definitely a sunbather. But I really don't like him lying on the grass or the ground. So I was looking for an outdoor dog bed that would be comfortable for him and work with my canine maintenance program. I'm thinking IE fleas and ticks. So I'm looking for a shade for my Lanai. I found that Coolaroo, they make shades. They also make dog beds. Coolaroo steel framed elevated dog bed is great because it's elevated off the ground and it's made with breathable fabric, which helps increase the airflow and keeps them cool. But not only does this bed help create a healthier environment, thanks to the fabric, which is flea, mite, mold, and mildew resistant, it also creates a more comfortable resting spot, right? Reducing stress on my pet's joints. The fabric cover is 100% recyclable lead and phthalate-free, Green Guard certified, and easy to clean. All I have to do is just 
hose it down with water. And since it's lightweight, the steel frame is power coated. This bed is great for indoor and outdoor use. It's also easy to replace the cover with a new one. Obviously, sold separately in a variety of sizes and colors. So the cooler red bed is definitely perfect for dogs and cats of all sizes, breeds and weights. Now, there is some assembly required, but what I like is the tools are included. So thank goodness for that, because I am not a Mrs. Fix-It. So check out these beds at Coolaroo.com. So last week, I was pulling up to visit my neighbor after taping our show, and I was astonished by the sighting of, well, it was about a 20-pound raccoon walking across the street. Now, I said this was about 2 o'clock. So my friend Annie has seen many raccoons in her backyard. Even worse, they've gotten electrocuted by climbing up the utility poles in her backyard. So, but what was worse, the raccoon came to my house the next day at night and was trying to get the seed out of a bird feeder that I left in front of my car. So because it was at night, I thought it was probably a cat. But as he went around the car and crossed the street, and then I saw that shape, that kind of hunchback. I knew it wasn't a cat, but that very large raccoon. Once again, I thought, what if I was coming out of my house with my dogs? And what would an encounter with that 20 pound raccoon be like? Well, my curiosity got the best of me and I wanted to learn more about these creatures, especially since I've heard they carry rabies. So as a result of Charlotte's newly found obsession with raccoons, I've got a lot of obsessions. Joining us today is Dr. Marcy Logsdon, clinical instructor, the College of Veterinary Medicine, Washington State University. Dr. Logsdon, thank you for joining the Pet Buzz today. Thank you for having me. So give us an overview of the raccoon. Raccoons are really amazing little animals, um, and they've, got, they've actually got a lot of fun similarities to people. Um, first, first and foremost, they are incredibly intelligent. Uh, they're also omnivores, so they have a wide variety, like a hugely varied diet. Um, and just like people, individual raccoons will develop particular preferences, but they're they're very very flexible. They'll there's a lot of things that different things that they'll eat. They have very dexterous little front paws that are honestly very similar to hands. They have opposable thumbs that lets them get into all sorts of trouble. Um, and they have pretty variable social habits. Some raccoons tend to stay by themselves. Others will kind of join up into small groups. And they're incredibly adaptable. They're found all throughout North and Central America, um, everywhere from Canada down through Central America. And they'll live in, you know, they'll live everywhere from your typical setting, like out in the woods, to super urban areas with, with a high people presence. And most of the time, they're pretty stealthy about it. People don't even know that they're there. You know, it's interesting. We're hearing all these good things about raccoons from Dr. Marcy, but at the same time, we know that they can carry rabies, right? So if you do see a raccoon in your environment, why is it a good idea to know what diseases raccoons carry and what preventative measures can be taken, especially if you have pets like, like we do? Yeah, and especially, especially if you have pets, um, there's, there's several diseases that you need to be concerned about with raccoons. Um, one is that there is a parasite that they can carry and pass on in their feces. Um, and so just making sure that if you find an area that, that raccoons are using a latrine, you know, don't, don't play there. Don't let your kids play there or your pets play there. Um, they can also, in some areas of the country, they can carry rabies. And of course, that's something that people are always concerned about. The biggest protection there is just to make sure that you're giving them an appropriate amount of space if you ever do come across one in the wild and that your pets are vaccinated with rabies. 
the vaccine, the rabies vaccine is very, very good. Similarly, distemper would be one other one that raccoons can carry. It's um, very, very devastating to raccoons as well, but it can go back and forth between um, between our, our pets like dogs and raccoons. But again, we've got a really good vaccine for it. So just making sure that your pets are vaccinated is the best way to keep them safe. So these diseases can be transmitted to your pet and then transmitted to you too also? Is that correct? Um, rabies is a disease that, that people can, can be susceptible to. Obviously, for that one, you have to be bit by a rabid animal. Uh, distemper is um, is pretty animal specific. People aren't going to catch distemper. And then the Bayless asterisk, that um, that pesky parasite, it's pretty opportunistic and kind of can kind of go anywhere. Your pets aren't going to be able to transfer or transmit it to you if they catch it. It's kind of a dead end host kind of thing. Um, but you could catch it directly from again from playing with raccoon poop. Just avoid playing with poop. Very well. You know, as Charlotte said in her introduction, she saw a raccoon both during the day. And at night, and from what I understood, raccoons are nocturnal. So, if you see a raccoon during the day, should we be alarmed? Not necessarily. Um, just like most people are diurnal, but you'll sometimes see us out at night. There are things that can cause a raccoon to move around during the day. One of the most um, straightforward ones would be if the spot that they're spending the day, that they're all bedded up or denned up in, if they get disturbed from that spot, they're gonna they're gonna move and they're gonna go try to find a different place. Or two, during the summer when the days are really really long. Sometimes they just don't have enough nighttime to get everything they need to get done in their day, especially if they're feeding babies. And so you might be more likely to see them then, especially evening and you know late evening and early morning. Um, so there's there's reasons that they can be out around. Okay, so that you know he didn't look sick or anything. They usually say if you see a raccoon during the day and it looks sick, it's kind of like wobbly. You know, definitely stay away, right? Oh yeah, you definitely want to stay away if you see an animal that looks sick. Um, and again, there are some times that animals can, wild animals can appear sick when they're not. Um, but usually if you see one that's out and around during the day acting odd, you definitely want to give it some space. And if the situation doesn't resolve itself, then you might want to consider calling someone like your local fish and wildlife or a local wildlife rehabilitator to kind of come and assess the situation. But sometimes too, again, coming back to the mama raccoons, if she's just had babies and she's nursing, she's going to look kind of skinny and pretty ragged. And, and again, she might be one who's more likely to be out during the day just trying to forage and keep up with everything. You know, one of the things I was curious as I was prepping for this interview, I started to think about one of Dr. Fleck's employees who has a raccoon as a pet. Do you encourage that? Not really. Um, there's a lot of a lot of issues with keeping animals that are not domesticated as pets. Um, one of the big ones, again, that, that Bayless aspirin, that parasite is something that we can, are concerned about. You know, they, there is some disease transmission concern between, between raccoons and um, humans. And then also, they're, again, they're just they're not domesticated, and so a lot of people can very easily get them over their head and suddenly have a hard time providing the care that they need. Um, in some states, it's not legal. And I will also mention, too, that a lot of states, even if it's legal in that state to keep a raccoon, um, because in some areas, raccoons can carry things like rabies, most states don't want raccoons being trans transported across state lines at all. And so in, in my mind, it's a very problematic, problematic pet to have that you might not be able to take with you if your life circumstances change and you have to. Dr. Logsdon, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about raccoons. So, Charlotte, do you feel better? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. In prepping for this interview, I watched all these videos, yeah. and watched raccoons open boxes and locks. I mean, they're really, truly amazing. You know, the things they can do and how they hold and how they have like a wide range of diet. I mean, they eat. It's 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 really interesting. Truly amazing animals. Yeah, really. Well, I, you know, I, I feel a lot better and I, you know, and, uh, 
I just I just really appreciate them for being so smart. So, so gonna, if you feel better, I'll bet you some of our listeners feel better, I too. I probably think so. Well, let me just wrap up this segment. You know, we're so glad that Dr. Marcy Langston was able to join us and talk about raccoons and what to do if you can and if you do see them during the day as well as the night. And to learn more about Dr. Marcy, visit vcs.vetmed.wsu.edu. Up next, Global Pet News. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it all the time. We're urban. Suburban. And and country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. So, this really disturbed me. And let me know how you feel about this one. So, a businessman was arrested recently in Puerto Rico for allegedly shooting and killing a dog that had stolen his ball on a golf course. I was shocked. So police said that on last Monday, former Long Island resident Sahil Zavari, he's about 60 years old, is accused of gunning down the pooch on Saturday at the well-known Wind of Grand Rio Mar Resort in coastal Rio Grande. He apparently became enraged after the dog snatched his ball near the 17th hole. Zavaria allegedly pulled out a nine millimeter gun and shot the animal at least twice in front of several horrified golfers. He got in the cart and kept playing. That's what one of the men present said, as well as the prosecutor. Zavria, he was released on $60,000 bond. That's not really enough. But his passport and driver's license were seized. So obviously he can't leave Puerto Rico. In a statement to a CBS correspondent, Zavria said shooting the dog was in self-defense after the dog chased one of his friends and then raced toward him and tried to get in the golf cart. He said he couldn't outrun the dog because the distance between him and the dog was too short. How many stories do we hear every year, Dr. Fluck, about alligators on the golf course? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, does anyone whip out a gun or bow and arrow or a knife and kill an alligator? And most dogs that are fetching aren't aren't aggressive. No. We're fetching a a golf ball. All I want to say is throw the book at Zavaria. Lock him Lock up. Him up. <laughs> Lock him up and give him a big fine. And you know what? He could be charged for PTSD for all the people who were around him who had to witness him 
whipping out his nine millimeter and shooting this dog on the golf. Come course. from a true attorney's background. Well, I mean, <laughs> hey, OK, now let's talk with our next guest. You know, with an abundance of flea and tick preventative products in the market, it can be tricky knowing which to choose for your dog and a cat. And additionally, factors include the environment in which you live. That's what you always tell me, Dr. Fleck, Mm -hmm. as well as your budget. Joining us to talk about fleas, ticks and preventative products is veterinarian Dr. Rosalind Biggs from Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine. So, Dr. Biggs, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And we're glad you're here because these are always big questions. Flea and tick, preventative products. Especially in Florida, where we are. Especially in Florida, but really all around the country. So my first question is, do you think that the growing awareness about flea and tick diseases affecting humans are a contributing factor as to why more humans are buying flea and tick preventative products? Well, I definitely think tick-borne diseases in in humans is it's creating an increased awareness. I think with the numbers we see out of the Center for Disease Control, in particular, those tick numbers, tick-borne diseases from 2004 to 2018 more than doubled of of human infections of tick-borne diseases. And in 2018, I double-checked those numbers actually just yesterday uh, in preparation for for this morning. And uh, those numbers were about 47,000 human tick-borne disease cases in, in 2018. I also think we're all still battling through this pandemic, right? And so I think we're seeing an increased uh, awareness of those diseases or, or one health perspective of those diseases that can impact both animals and humans. 47,000 cases. Those are the only ones that are reported. And those are Absolutely. We know there are a lot of unreported. Mostly unreported. Thank goodness for One Health today anyway. So why are cats and dogs the perfect host for fleas and ticks? They're right at that level where fleas and ticks like to live. You know, they're they're in in grass. They're uh, they're in that brush. And um, it's the perfect opportunity for those external parasites to hop on board and use our cats and dogs as as host for for meals. Yeah, and also that nice thick fur. They can get nice and warm at the skin level, I think. Absolutely. Great place to hide. Okay, so let's talk about protecting our pets. How should we determine what flea and tick products are the best? There's lots of different options, right? And so at the end of the day, we need to have products that are effective and we're seeing this here, certainly here in Oklahoma. I see it, see it every day. Um, these are these are really clever parasites, right? And they're constantly uh, changing and and evolving. And so, the key thing for me is, pet owners need to talk to your veterinarian. You need to have. There's no one size fits all approach to uh, to handling external parasites. What do you think about treating landscapes too? Should should that be a must? Yeah, it, this is a multimodal uh, approach, but certainly the, the most common areas that our cats and dogs have exposure to, in particular our lawn, that, that's going to be mowed frequently. We're also trying to control other animals, wildlife, even rodents, uh, from, from entering those areas, avoiding things like, you know, big wood piles uh, or other areas that could serve as, as uh, houses, homes for, for our rodent friends. 
uh, we, we want to minimize those and, and working with a service uh, that can provide a, a topical application, uh, so to speak, for our lawns, uh, that's definitely something to, to think about. You know, lastly, Dr. Biggs, I think this is an important factor. I occasionally meet people who want to buy products online and specifically they want to buy products online in Australia because they think they're cheaper or they want to buy products in Canada. Can you talk a little bit about why that's not such a great idea? Any of the pharmaceutical products that I encourage uh, in the multiple species that I deal with, but in particular on, on these flea and tick products is buying from reputable source that is going to be able to, we, we talked a little bit about there can be complications with the products. They're pretty few and far between, but I definitely encourage folks to work with their veterinarian to find the best option of, of a source for them to, to get these flea and tick products. Uh, I'm also one that uh, I have a uh, a real desire in veterinary medicine to support rural communities and important, uh, in, in particular, rural veterinary practices, all veterinary practices, but I have a special place in my heart for rural veterinary practices. And so, um, you know, purchasing from your veterinarian at the end of the day, especially when we look at shipping, um, may be the most economical for you. But in addition to that, you have the connection, you have the relationship with your veterinarian in that practice. So in the event, in the rare event of a reaction or a side effect from the medication, they can help you deal with that, making sure that it is appropriately reported, um, making sure that you can potentially get connected with, with the company. Um, in some cases, those companies will handle those side effects and work really closely with you because they want to know. They want an effective product and uh, they want it to be safe, safe for our pets. You know, Dr. Biggs, all of our, our listeners down here in Florida love this information that you're providing because they need it. And thank you so much for sharing that with us on the Pet Buzz. Thanks so much for having me. That's some great advice. Everyone, that was veterinarian Dr. Rosalind Biggs from the College of Veterinary Medicine at Oklahoma State University, one of our favorite vet schools because we have lots of people on <laughs> from OK State discussing fleas and ticks and options to protect your pets from them. To learn more about Dr. Biggs, visit vetmed.okstate.edu. Now let's go for the wrap, Dr. Fleck. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. Yes, we do. Next week's show is going to be great. We're going to talk about the return of pandemic puppies to the shelters. Just as I predicted, mm -hmm. people were going to be returning those mm -hmm. puppies now that they can go out, go back to work and have a social life. As did I predict with you. Right. We're mm -hmm. going to have pet insurance. We're going to talk about pet insurance and we're going to talk about raptors. Let's give special thanks to our guests, Dr. Robbie McDonald. Dr. Marcy Logsdon and Dr. Rosalind Biggs. Yeah, that's great. What such a great show we had today. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care pets for healthier pets everywhere. So if you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. For the full-length, unedited video versions of all of our interviews, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel. You're listening to The Pet Buzz.